All right, ladies and gentlemen, the From the Flight Deck podcast is back, and uh, we're presented by Dial a Pilot and Kyle and Joey here. And Joey, first of all, you have some exciting news to share with the group, and and I know you're going to downplay it, so I'm going to introduce it. Joey is a <laughs> captain at his airline now, which is a major, major, major accomplishment, and he's going to proceed to downplay it a little bit here. So I just want to point out that that is absolutely amazing, and congrats on the upgrade, man. That's awesome. I'm I'm very proud of you. Hey, appreciate it, Kyle. Yeah, I uh, you know, it's one of those things, especially in the airlines, that you kind of have to sit down and have a talk with with those you care about as to if you're ready to do it, because it's not just about becoming the pilot in command. You're you're potentially moving bases, you're switching aircraft, which is the case uh, for me. I'm going from New York as a first officer, which is second in command, to Minneapolis as a captain, which is pilot in command, and I'm switching aircrafts uh, as well. So I'm switching from the Boeing 757-767 to the Airbus A319-2021 uh, in Neo. So I'm going from uh, an American company to the French company. So as they say, I'm learning to speak French, if you will, um, and, and then also becoming pilot in command, which is uh, a learning curve in and of itself. Luckily, you know, I was a captain at SkyWest, where I was in the regional carrier. So I had a little taste of that for about a year and a half. And then as part of the training, all new captains, we go through leadership courses and, and learning uh, how to deal with different situations and the resources that we have available um, uh, in the flight deck. So I'm excited. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. But again, in, in the airline world, it is really just a numbers game. And uh, when your airline says that they need captains and in your base that you want to go to on the aircraft that you're interested in, you can pull the trigger if your number gets called. And I was just lucky enough uh, to be in that category. So very excited about it, but I'm not the only one on this podcast that uh, is going to new, new equipment. Kyle, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, I uh, am very excited to be on the new airplane that I'm on as well. Um, And, and I will say Joey as well, the, the number getting called is, of course, true from a seniority standpoint, but but I do think it takes a special person to raise their hand and, and jump on that, uh, especially given your, you know, history throughout your career of being the guy that, you know, volunteers for the next thing and, and is always doing uh, kind of above and beyond things at the airlines that you work for. Uh, it, it just goes to show you know, the, the type of personality that you have. So I'm very proud of you and, and excited for you. And I know you're going to be a phenomenal captain and, and really help in mentoring and shaping a lot of uh, first officers' careers as well. So uh, I'm excited Appreciate to that. continue to hear about all those things. Yeah, of course. And um, to answer your question, I am out here in Denver at the uh, training center. We have a massive training center out here. And uh, I'm at Boeing 777 school, which it's kind of the pride of our fleet. Uh, it's our largest airplane. And so I'm really, really excited to be going to that. Now, uh, I was able to hold captain, but uh, from a quality of life standpoint, I decided to go with the right seat in, uh, in the triple, which allows us to fly a little bit less than I would had I gone to captain on a narrow body. But that gives me a little bit more opportunity, significantly more opportunity to continue working on the dial of pilot stuff. So for me, it was kind of a play to help build this service and uh, just change the way I was flying a little bit as well. So I'm mm-hmm. coming off of the domestic fleet, so less uh, kind of Chicago, Boston, uh, Detroit, those sort of flights, and a lot more Sydney, Australia, Europe flights. Uh, in fact, I go to Tokyo for my first scheduled trip in December, which I'm really excited for. So it's going to be a total change for me. I haven't done flying like this 
uh, really before. I've done some smaller stuff, you know, kind of close in Europe when I was flying Challengers, which is a, a private jet back uh, in 2015 to 2017. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I uh, love it. Oh, I'm I'm really excited. It's going to be cool. So, anyways, that's that's all exciting, and uh, yeah, it's been good. So, I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about, uh, as far as you know, going back to the nervous flyer stuff, which of course is what our goal is here with this service, is to really talk about the things that we go through in training. And I know we've mentioned this a little bit, but I want to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of engine failures, engine fires, evacuations, those sort of things, and that's. Yeah, I did no less than 10 engine failures yesterday, both on the runway, off the runway, landing, takeoff, uh, leading to an evacuation, not leading to an evacuation. And it's cool because at the end of it, they just reset the simulator and, and we're off to the races, you know, to, mm-hmm. to practice another event. So kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about that and, and say, uh, you know, Joey, as we kind of brief before this, talk about the statistics of how often an engine failure happens and then say, hey, well, here's the plan when it does. So you want to jump on the statistics part of it? Yeah, and uh, to just to reiterate what Kyle is talking about, so he's going through initial training on a new aircraft, and if you go back to our, our training video, we kind of talk about this. I just went through continuing qualification on my current aircraft, and what that is is, again, every 9 to 12 months, depending on your airline, you have to go back to the simulators and practice all of these things again. So rest assured, no matter what aircraft uh, you're getting on for your, your holiday travels, you can know that your pilots have gone and practiced engine failures, fires, et cetera, and so forth within the previous nine months at a maximum. Uh, and it's usually uh, probably a little bit more close in for them uh, as far as when you're flying with them. But, yeah, as far as engine failures go, it's probably me and Kyle would probably agree on this, that it's one of the most common questions that we get on our, our dial-a-pilot phone calls. And, and I love talking about it because one of the things I start off with usually is how incredibly rare it is that you would ever experience an engine failure. So much so that uh, Aviation Safety Magazine says there's one engine failure per one million flight hours. And and just to give you kind of an idea of how many that is. Now, again, this is the whole uh, aviation system, but me and Kyle probably won't ever hit 30,000 or 40,000 flight hours. So again, one engine failure per one million flight hours. That's absolutely crazy small number. Um, And even if that one were to fail, the aircraft are 100% capable of flying on one engine. And that's what we're practicing in the simulator. It even goes so far as to say, even if both failed, which now we're talking, um, probably, I don't have the numbers on this, but astronomically more rare that that would happen. These aircraft from about 30,000 feet can glide 100 miles or so. And if you've ever looked at a map of the U.S., specifically an airport map of the U.S., you can see that there's going to be an airport usually within 100 miles or at worst case, some sort of flat area. So, again, even if you were to lose both engines, which uh, numerically is almost impossible, you are able to glide for at least 100 to 150 miles, depending on your altitude, which we do practice and is a lot of the time a memory item. Uh, that we have to memorize at any time. We have to to know how to deal with an engine failure. And even if you do lose an engine, I like to point this out, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get it back. We have a lot of procedures and checklists and, and things that we train to where if you do lose an engine, we're going to troubleshoot the situation. We're not just going to assume that that engine is gone. We're going to go through what we call the QRH, the Quick Reference Handbook that Boeing and Airbus put together that has 
almost literally everything that could happen on an airplane, it has a procedure for it. Because we get messages on our ICAST, which is our alerting system, uh, that we can see at all times, and it has you know amber uh, lights, and it will tell us if something is going wrong. And we can reference the QRH, the Quick Reference Handbook, to go through and troubleshoot, uh, in this scenario, an engine failure. We're going to try to get it back. If we can't, that's when we kind of are going to go into what, what Kyle's going through right now, the training, the, the single-engine stuff. So, Kyle, what kind of single-engine stuff are you guys having to do? Oh, you name it. I mean, I, I think that they must, uh, you know, the, the, the crew that puts all these together must be on the phone on some of our dial-up pilot calls coming up with some <laughs> scenarios that some of our, our wonderful callers that we very much enjoy talking to come up with. And uh, we actually get to go and, and train those procedures. So uh, yesterday, for example, we were doing uh, low speed during takeoff engine failures. We were doing high speed during takeoff engine failures. It would result in us rejecting the takeoff. We would do a engine failure as we are what we call rotating, which is bringing the nose off the ground during takeoff. Uh, we did engine failures 100 feet off the runway. We did them once we were airborne and climbing out. We did them during landing. Uh, I mean, we had them all over the place. Engine fires as well. And mm -hmm. we have these really robust systems that tell us exactly what's going on. So in the event of a fire, we get this really loud bell, and it is unmistakable as to what it is. So you get this, this really loud bell that goes off. You get this red light in the cockpit, and you look down at the uh, ICAST, Joey, as you mentioned, which stands for Engine Indication Crew Alerting System, E-I-C-A-S. Nice. Nice. And that will say fire engine left. And so we know, okay, well, we got a fire on the left engine, so we know exactly what we're supposed to do. And on the triple, and I think you're going to get this on the Airbus, we have what's called an ECL, an electronic checklist. And it's awesome. We hit the checklist button on, the, on uh, what's called the glare shield, which is just kind of the top of the panel. And it automatically pulls up the checklist that the airplane wants us to run. And it will highlight in green if the, the switch position that it commands us to do has been accomplished. Mm -hmm. So you can look at it and anything that's in white, you say, oh, okay, I got to do that. And anything that's in green, it's already done. So, I mean, this airplane is, is unbelievable. And on top of that, this airplane specifically... And this gets a little bit nerdy, so I'm going to try and dumb it down a little bit. I shouldn't say dumb it down. That's a disrespectful way to put it. Uh, I am going to just explain this to somebody that's not super familiar with, with aviation. So we have what's called the thrust asymmetry compensator on this airplane. And so when we're ro rolling down the runway and we reach that takeoff decision speed and an engine fails, it automatically puts 90% of the flight control response in for us. And all wow. the pilots have to do is put an extra 10% in. And if you don't do it, it's still fine. The airplane still flies no problem. It's got some other systems associated that, that allow it to do that. But that's what the thrust asymmetry compensator is. We call it the TAC. And so coming off of a product that didn't have that to a product that does, it's just amazing. I, I'm already just obsessed with this airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that I'm going to honestly fly it for a long time. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. But then, yeah, you run the engine fires, you run the engine failures. Sometimes you can uh, what we call relight the engine and actually bring it back online. But most of the time, and I think this is what's important to, to get at, is if we lose an engine at the most inopportune time, the engineers and our companies have gone through the performance and the engineering to make sure that no matter where we are taking off from, we have the performance to climb away from the runway, from the terrain uh, that, that surrounds that airport at the current weight and the current 
ambient uh, conditions going on, meaning the temperature, the wind, the humidity, all of those things are, are into play. And so when we take off, we know exactly which direction to turn. We know exactly what uh, altitudes to accelerate the airplane at, when to reconfigure the airplane, exactly how to set up to come back in and land. For me, on an airplane like the, the 777, where we carry 250,000 pounds of gas, uh, which is which is a lot of gas. Uh, you know, we would have to go out and dump gas uh, sometimes, depending on the situation. And so, all of mm-hmm. those procedures are are very well outlined on exactly what we're supposed to do. So, uh, we spent four hours in the simulator last night just running through all of those procedures, and it, it is just fantastic training. So, I, I'm really feeling like I'm learning a lot and and gaining a lot from uh, from this training event that I'm currently experiencing. Yeah, and, and Kyle, if I can interject here, what Kyle is training for and building towards is the manu- maneuvers validation, which is what we talked about um, in our training video. And, and what that is going to be is the FAA is going to send a designated examiner um, or the airline selects, based on the FAA guidance, an examiner to make sure that Kyle is proficient in doing these things properly, right? So anybody could train to do this, but you still have to get through uh, the big hurdle, if you will, uh, of a designated examiner who's going to make sure that the pilots that are flying your aircraft out there, uh, you know, in, on the line, as we call it, which is just when you as a passenger go flying, we call that the line, to make sure that they did all of these things to the proficiency level that the FAA deems appropriate. And if they don't, they'll go back and do more training. And if they don't again, they'll do more training. And if they don't again, obviously it depends on the airline. They may not be cut out for it. Uh, you know, And that's a rare case. The airlines mainly are going to work with you and make sure that you understand what you're being taught. But at the end of the day, your pilots had to pass a test that the FAA determined uh, that they are good to go out and fly. So again, that's what Kyle is building towards. Um, is the maneuvers validation. And again, he has to do a good job, which he's going to, uh, in order to continue to progress through his training. Yeah, there you go. And then after that, we actually go into what's called the loft phase, which is the line-oriented flight training. And that's actually, you know, they'll set you up in, uh, I'm just going to make something up, Hong Kong, for example. And they'll give you a full load of fuel, a full load of passengers, theoretically, of course. And They'll set you up to go actually do this flight, and then during the flight, they give you a random handful of failures, malfunctions, all those things, and then we have to coordinate with all of the team on the ground, the dispatchers, the maintainers, uh, sometimes Boeing engineering or in Joey's soon-to-be case, Airbus engineering, and actually figure out the right plan to get the airplane on the ground safely and to get the passengers to the right destination or, or to the right place that just allows them to be taken care of. So we actually go through that next, and that's another... Mm-hmm. I think that's five days. And then at the very end of that is another check ride. And so we have a series of check rides throughout this whole thing. And, and this is what the FAA calls the Advanced Qualification Program, which is AQP. And uh, we got to rename this podcast. Uh, uh, what are those called? Oh, gosh. Now I sound dumb. Um <laughs> Acronyms. We got to rename this podcast the Acronym Podcast. But uh, <laughs> so we go through Advanced Qualification Program. And then we do multiple check rides. We have a systems validation test where we understand, you know, we do a test to make sure we understand all the systems. Then we have a procedures validation. We know exactly how to fly the airplane the way the company wants to. Then we have the maneuvers validation. Joey just talked about it. 
And then we have the line-oriented evaluation, and that's the final check ride. That's the final boss. It's a very highly qualified captain evaluator uh, at our specific airlines that then go through and make sure that you are the top person on that airplane on that given day, essentially. And, mm -hmm. and you have to perform to really high standards. And I always walk away from those events feeling really good uh, as far as like I, I learned so much from each one of those people because they have this unbelievable amount of experience that they bring to that briefing room and to that simulator. And, and you just walk away learning so much. And, you know, the old saying is, is it's better to learn from other people's mistakes. And it's also better to learn from other people's vast experience. And so I'm just very grateful for the training that we have and, and how good it is. So that's been a fantastic experience being out here in Denver. That's awesome. And then when you, you're done with that, you get uh, the letters on your, your uh, license, I will say B777, which we all have pilot licenses. And on the back, it has all of our type ratings on it. And it's kind of a, a point of pride to, especially the 777, to get a new aircraft type on there. So very exciting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the thing to take home with the engine failures is that we practice them, we're trained on it, we have to pass tests, and it's a valid fear uh, because they do happen, right? Like one per one million is still one per million flight hours. But, again, we understand that there's a lot that goes into it, and that's why we do the training. And usually when these things happen, you're going to see people on their phones in the back filming all of these things happening. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, uh, continuing on, uh, is social media and the effect that it has on someone who, especially those that have fears of flying, or maybe they didn't have fears of flying until they saw something on social media, and what kind of feeling that brings in. And, and we just wanted to hit on social media a little bit. So in prepping for this podcast, I went to one of the new fads there are right now, and it's uh, ChatGPT. I wanted to ask ChatGPT, uh, why does social media make me afraid to fly? So that's the question I posed to ChatGPT. Bear with me as I read this, because um, I do think it's interesting, and it definitely fits into what we're trying to get after uh, here. So again, this is the response. Social media can sometimes amplify fear of flying by sharing sensationalized stories, that's important, anecdotes, or negative experiences related to aviation incidents. It's important to keep in mind that these instances are instances, excuse me, are often rare, and the aviation industry prioritizes safety. Exposure to fear-inducing content can contribute to heightened anxiety. Consider seeking information from reputable sources and understanding statistical safety records to maintain a more balanced perspective on air travel. Again, so the things I want to highlight there one is that they're sensationalized stories. The, the media and the algorithms are not going to post all the beautiful landings that Kyle has uh, in, in his aircraft. <laughs> they're not going to post all the success stories on things going wrong. They're, they're not going to post all the good things, right? They're going to post sensationalized stories. So that's the first thing that I want you to take home is that the things that you're seeing are very rare. I mean, we don't even see those on a day-to-day. -day. I've never seen most of the things I see on the airplanes on a day-to-day. -day. It's the same with the disruptive passengers, the drunk passengers. You don't see those on every flight, but those are what's going to get the clicks. Those are what's going to get the views. Uh, and it's the same with, like, engine failures or turbulence. Of course, there's going to be situations where turbulence gets pretty rough and, and things lift off the ground. But they're rare. And with all the technology that we have in the aircraft as far as seeing uh, and I put that in air quotes, seeing turbulence out ahead, 
uh, we're able to maneuver around it and get around it. But when you're when you're seeing social media stuff, I want you to keep that in mind: is that they are sensationalized because that's what gets clicks. You're not going to see all the other stuff. And then again, consider seeking information from a reputable source, not to plug dial a pilot, but um, having a phone call with a pilot or talking to a pilot before you get on the plane or talking to your specific pilots before you get on a plane and, and hearing what they go through, if they've ever experienced things like that, uh, if, if, if anything happened because of things that they experienced, and then just going out and finding statistics about how safe. We shared one, the one per one million flight hours. Uh, that's one of the statistics that we like to point out. But there's so many different statistics. You know, you always hear, and I think people that are afraid of flying don't like to hear this one, but that flying is so much safer than driving. But that's because it's true. I mean, you just look at Thanksgiving Day. I'm sure, unfortunately, there was people that passed away in a driving accident. How many people passed away in an aviation uh, accident on Thanksgiving or the day before Thanksgiving. Probably none uh, that I've heard of. So again, uh, we, we throw that statistic out there, but we do it because it's true. And so that's just my little blurb on, uh, on social media. Thanks, ChatGBT, for giving me such a well-articulated um, paragraph to read. I thought that was fantastic. Chat GPT is, is, is phenomenal. I, I love using it. But anyways, I just wanted to point that out that I, I think sensationalized stuff is all you're going to see on social media because that's exciting. <clears throat> Excuse me, right? I, um, I, I agree with you entirely there. And that social media stuff is, uh, you know, we say this so often and I hate to beat a dead horse, but yeah, it is sensationalized. And you're going to see a lot of articles that come out that talk about maintaining the integrity of airline safety and a catastrophic event is coming and things of those nature. And that the, the catastrophic event is coming is, is pure speculation. And what I want to point out on articles like that is this. We have come so far in aviation and aviation safety because of our constant commitment to better aviation safety and make sure that we are always planning for any foreseen and unforeseen threats on the horizon. And so it's really good to point out, hey, there were 47 near misses this year. Well, what is a near miss? That would be a traffic collision and avoidance system resolution advisory, which is an onboard system on the airplane that tells us when we get too close to another airplane and it gives us a command to get away from them. And what that would sound like in the cockpit is you would say, the airplane would say traffic, traffic, and then approximately 10 seconds later, it would say traffic climb. And so we are required to respond to that. We have a, re a required phraseology that we say to the air traffic controllers to tell them that we're responding to that. And there was an article that came out that talked about those TCAS RA instances and said, oh, these were near misses. That's the airplane working the way that it's designed to work because sometimes you have mm -hmm. other airplanes out there that don't do what they're supposed to do. And I don't mean that it's an airliner that's doing that because it's very rare that you have pilot deviations. Granted, we plan for those too. But you may have a small general aviation airplane out there that doesn't realize the airspace that they're in and all of a sudden uh, is underneath an approach corridor to a major international airport and our airplane detects it and tells us to get away from the threat. Is that a near miss or is that the airplane saving saving itself and, and working the way that it's supposed to because aviation safety technology has come so far. Right. So I think it's really important to point things like that out. And, um, I, I, and if, if I can interject again, um, I think that that's a good point to bring up is that the same technology that we're able to use social media, like as far as the advancing of technology, 
is that same very technology that is making aviation so safe. And I always bring up that TCAS thing that you just talked about because the manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus, understand at the end of the day that the people that are operating these aircraft are human. The people that are controlling these aircraft, and, and by that I mean air traffic control, they're also human, right? They, they understand Boeing and Airbus and Embraer and whoever else makes airplanes out there understand that there is going to be a breakdown at some point of, of humans. That's just the nature of it. And so they're like, well, what can we put in these aircraft, and this is technology, to make sure that when they do break down, that the aircraft can be the last line of defense or one of the last lines of defense. And TCAS is an incredible example of the technology that has come out that has made aviation extremely safe. Sorry, you were going on, Kyle? Yeah, it I mean, you, you make a very good point, and then to bring that full circle, what, where that comes back to is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, and that's that when the airplane breaks down, the pilots are the last line of defense. So it's a very full circle thing. It's kind of a uh, – full circle is a good way to put it, I guess. Um, but, you know, the airplane watches out for us. We watch out for the airplane. We watch out for the passengers. The pilots watch – I'm sorry, the, pa the airplane watches out for the passengers. Like, everything that goes into this is so – focused on maintaining aviation safety to a high level. So I think that that's really important to point out. Now, to continue a little bit on that uh, chat GPT prompt, when I first started this service, honestly, where part of the inspiration came from was, uh, and this is a little bit of a personal story, but back in 2021, I actually tore my ACL and MCL skiing up in Oregon, had to have surgery on it. And, um, when I was searching for doctors, I remember meeting this this doc, Dr. Zamanovich, and he was just this extremely kind man. And I had all these questions about the surgery, and, and it wasn't that I was afraid of it by any means. You know, an ACL surgery is not that big of a deal. But I had questions about, hey, what's the right graft to choose? Should I do it this way? Should I do it this other way? Uh, you know, can I trust you to do this surgery? Are you going to be well-rested and ready to go for this? You know, those type of things. And he just had this phenomenal bedside manner that when I rolled into surgery and, you know, they're putting me under anesthesia and cutting my leg open and harvesting tendons from other parts of my body and relacing it as an ACL, <laughs> which is kind of an intimidating thing to go into. I was so calm when I saw him that I was like, I, this, this feels good. I'm going to be perfectly fine. I'm going to be out of here in an hour and a half. My knee's going to be better than it was before. And, you know, fortunately, because of all the other doctors that, that were able to help me along that path of recovery, I was able to ski nine months after surgery, one year to the day after injury, and I heard mm -hmm. it skiing. But the whole reason I bring this up is this. Those folks had an amazing bedside manner that made my recovery seem like their top priority, and I wanted to provide that for airline passengers that did not have access to something like that. So I always say humanizing the flight deck is what our goal is with the Dial-A-Pilot business and service. And, and that comes in multiple ways. That comes in the form of the podcast. It comes in the form of the calls. It comes in the form of the social media content that we push out. But I want people to have that confidence that whoever is behind that flight deck door, because it is a barrier, it's designed to be a barrier, again, for safety. But I want them to know that we have their best interests in mind. We are well-trained and we are professional and we are happy to be here. And this is the job that we chose to do. And we believe in it. And not only that, you know, when we talk about aviation as a whole, we're talking specific to, to airline aviation, Joey. On my days off, I go fly little small airplanes. That's how much mm -hmm. I love it. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
aviation is just such a passion for me and, and finding this medium to go out and be able to help people and help humanize that flight deck and allow them to kind of pop their head in without, you know, actually being able to do it while the engines are running for obvious reasons feels really good. And I'm so thankful and glad that it's helping people. And, uh, Joey, I, I couldn't do it with, without you and the other, uh, eight pilots that are working with us outside of the two of us. And I'm just really excited to continue to see where we go, which kind of leads me into kind of the direction that I want to go, uh, with this service next and direction that kind of Joey and I want to go. And it's been a little bit of soul searching, to be honest with you, since I started it. This service was started in June of 2023. It was started the week after I got married, actually. And mm -hmm. it's been a blast. Um, we started on TikTok and then quickly started posting some stuff on Instagram. And we got a lot of media attention uh, and worked with you know folks like the Washington Post and the London Times and the UK Times and some, some amazing things that like... I, it's I, it's even weird to talk about it now. It's so surreal that 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 happened so suddenly. And during that time, I ended up talking to a lot of folks that said, "Oh, you know, you should do this with the business. You should do that with the business. Uh, you should try and you know get uh, some large corporation to sign on and have their employees use the service." And and in all honesty, I got really excited by that idea. Um, it kind of lost my way in it a little bit. And so I started focusing on trying to make these really high quality looking videos and ads and um, things that just weren't what I wanted to do. Mm. And it was because I had all these voices in my ear talking about, you know, the direction that this needed to go and venture capital. And Joey, that's not me. That's mm -hmm. not what I want to do. Right. I, this is my passion. This is my passion project. And I love talking to the people that we work with and I love interacting with them on social media and learning their stories and seeing them overcome their fears. And I kind of had this moment the other day that I was kind of spinning my wheels and trying to figure out these, you know, Instagram ads and things like that. And I'm excited to continue doing that because I do think there is a space for that. But, but sure. that goal of course is to just find more people to be able to, help them out is really what the idea is. And right. I had this moment of just kind of realization that I wanted to keep doing this the way that I wanted to do it and, and making these little easy videos that I'm walking around at the airport and all of a sudden something comes to my mind that I think, hey, this could really help people. Uh, you know, I want to film in the small airplanes and talk about, hey, although this is a small airplane and it doesn't look the same as an airliner, I operate it under the same kind of ideology and, you know, ensuring the flight controls are free and correct before we take off. All of those things, it just gives people an inside access to the actual flight deck because we can film in a small airplane, but not in a big airplane, of course. Again, that's obvious reasons. Right. Um, and so moving forward, I, I think that I'm just going to focus so much more on, on why I started this in the first place and kind of get those other voices that, that were in the room talking to me about, oh, you know, you got to build this and do this and that's not the reason this whole thing started. The whole the whole reason this was started was to be able to help those nervous flyers and promote aviation. And in fact, one of the things that I'm going to do when we open up the little uh, dial-a-pilot community thing that we have going and the whole premise behind that is easily accessible videos that are a little bit longer form. So when you're sitting at the airport ready to go and you know you maybe had your call with us or, or maybe didn't because we understand that you know, to spend $50 before every flight, like that, that gets expensive. We totally get that. 
And so that's why we have all these different mediums that are available for free, available for you know paid customers, all those things. But this other product that we're offering is going to be a lot less expensive, but really good quality videos that talk about you know, how takeoff works and what an engine failure is and how we train for engine failures. And beyond that, I want to go in and, you know, when there is an incident in aviation, I want to talk about how the pilots are actually trained to handle it versus what you see kind of actively on, on YouTube right now is what the pilots actually did in that moment. Because Monday morning quarterbacking another professional aviator, in my opinion, is not acceptable. Until an NTSB investigation comes out and, and all of those things happen and, and we see exactly what went on and what the ICAST messages were on the flight deck, I don't think it's reasonable to to do that Monday morning quarterbacking. And so I want to talk about, hey, when this happens, this is what we are trained to do and this is why the airplane was able to get back out on the ground safely. So that's a big part of it. But all that to say, and I kind of lost my way here, but here's what we're going to do. When we bring folks into that community, and, and I really, really genuinely believe in this because it's happened to a few of our callers so far, I think that we can get people to a point where not only have they overcome their fear of flying, but they have developed and sparked a genuine interest in aviation for the first five members per year that want to go and actually take a flight lesson, I'm going to pay for it. This is, like I said, this is my passion project, and, and promoting aviation is something that's so core to who I am that uh, that that feels like, you know, not even a promotional. Oh, hey, we'll you know we'll fix your fear of flying and take you off of Xanax and all those things. I just want to do this, so I'm I'm really excited about that, and yeah, I hope wow, that we that's develop exciting. a couple pilots out of this. Yeah, that's great. I uh, that's news to me. I think that's a phenomenal. Um, thing to do I, I think one of the ways to cure flying is to go out and do it but and and just to all the other things that you talked about first of all i'm excited to be a part of this journey thanks for having me along but i, I think that's just it it's just a journey and i you look at any business that started there's going to be times where they pivot and they change and they figure out what works what doesn't work and they're going to go back to their roots or they're going to continue to expand I, I think that's all part of the journey i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i, I think the way you're going uh, is smart because, again, like you were talking about before, humanizing the flight deck, you're able to do that by spontaneous videos and, and being able to, to talk to people kind of just in a laissez-faire way versus a corporate way, which is on those phone calls, we're able to talk to you just as a pilot to a passenger and, and kind of express what we see through our eyes on the very same things uh, that you as a passenger are worried about and, and the lack of concern for a lot of the things that we have because of the training we've gone through, because it's something that we've done before and, and being able to just have a conversation versus it being some sort of corporate meeting, I think helps a lot. And obviously that seems to be the direction that you want to go, but uh, all great updates and, and very exciting. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, it's just so much more of a fun way to go. I, it, enjoying the people that we get to work with i think is so core to why this is enjoyable and why it's fun um joey jumping on and, and running a podcast with you of course has been just a complete blast especially you know given our our history together and working in uh, different airlines together so it's just such a fun mm -hmm. full circle moment but uh yeah anyway sorry that was a little bit of a monologue but but that's the direction we're gonna go and the decision's made and uh yeah, so, you know, as the customer, and we always say this, but let us know what you want. We're, we're all ears for it. This is your service, and we're just kind of the, oh, gosh, I hate to use this pun, but we're, we're the pilots on it. So 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my my big uh, my big idea and my big revelation sure. over the last couple of weeks, sitting out here training and kind of having a lot of time to think about kind of next steps and uh, you know what comes next, both in my in my professional career here at the airline and then also in our our uh, journey to to help these folks and build this service out. Awesome. Well, I think that's all great. We got some great updates. Again, we really appreciate you guys listening. We'll sign off. Uh, you can continue to expect these podcasts uh, coming out. We're going to try to do it regularly, but obviously with uh, Kyle going through his training and the holidays, uh, we obviously got a little bit behind. Um, so we're going to try to come out with them uh, weekly if we can, if not bi-monthly for sure at the, at the, at the minimum. But uh, as always, please let us know what you want us to talk about via the various social media platforms that Kyle runs because we want to talk about what you want to hear. Obviously, for the most part, we've been talking about things that we think you want to hear, but we want to hear about what you want to hear. So please reach out to us on all the different social medias. Like, follow, subscribe, um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening.